Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to languages for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Masked Neurothotep, where we have a spotlight episode for you. And so, to do that, to start this grand spotlight, as it were, uh, we need to introduce our uh, spotlight E. And uh, they are. Hello, this is James. And as you guys all know, I'll be playing Dr. Sigmund Tattenbach, who has. Um, he has some things to has some things to sort out. Perhaps I'm thinking he's been he's very tired, and maybe maybe a good nap is what is needed. It is, uh, in fact, when we last saw the doctor, he was laying down, just stood, uh, sort of made a makeshift location for him to sleep there in the temple, and he was after just a bit of of hash, uh, uh, medical reasons, of course. He had uh, dozed uh, very quickly off into sleep. And it isn't too much longer from that initial just loss of consciousness that our curtain raises tonight in a vast desert. Uh, But not the one he'd left. So, Doctor, the grains of sand that are underneath your fingers and fingernails are just as fine as the one you'd left them, except these here seem to be some sort of a a brownish color. It's far deeper than the sands that you were used to, far deeper in tone. And there's even a bit of flecks of yellow in them. You find yourself with two two handfuls of this sand cupped. You sort of wake up in this lotus position. You look around... And there's no temple. There's no dunes. There's a flat stretch of desert as far as the eye can see to the left and right. Uh, Overhead, the sun here is just as bright as it is in the, the waking world, except the heat here is not as oppressive. There's almost this wash of cool air that runs along the back of your neck and sort of down your spine. It's a pleasant feeling, at least for the moment. And it takes you a few thought cycles, but you feel this almost rhythmic sense to the ground as if there's an inner beat beneath the ground. There's something here. This place is alive. And you get this resonant rhythm, this almost pulse that reports back through your fingertips. Is it um, is it literally pulse-like? Um, only larger or slower? Um, yeah. That's the surprising thing, truly, is that it does have that rhythmic, steady 
beating, even by your your own standards, you could tell that this is 72, 75 beats, just very simple, something at rest. Hmm. He keeps his hands on the, um, he lets the, the sand spill out onto the ground so that he can see it before him. Mm-hmm. It creates a diamond pattern. You see, like as soon as you spill it out, hmm. the sand creates a, a diamond pattern. He appreciates how orderly that is. Slowly rocks back onto his heels and then stands up. Survey the horizon. I will never get used to this. It is, <laughs> it's almost no reflection of where I was. It's definitely different. When you stand up, you get a slightly different perspective. And so that diamond pattern actually plays out two or three different times along the sand. You see it now, the change in perspective, just the height alone has uh, caused ripples in the sand here. And there's this continuing diamond pattern along the sand. It leads just a bit away from you in a slight curve to the left. Doc follows it. The universe doesn't accidentally make math, so he he, he goes along with it. Sure. The sand leads, after a little while, to, as you're kind of looking and following the trail, you see the sand lead along, and then it gets to the vanishing point, which is the horizon. And it doesn't take too terribly long for Doc's steps to lead him to what he believes is that point. And it is at that point where there is this burgeoning palm tree that raises out of the ground. Is it in an oasis or just a a lone tree? It's a lone tree. There's a a few patches of scrub grass, although this tree seems to have coconuts, some sort of something that is likely not terribly common where you were, but you see some sort of fruited plant. You think it's a coconut. It's brown. Doc's going to use, he's going to practice. He's going to use this opportunity to practice. He imagines a an elegant staircase like the one on the front of the chalet that they visited when he was a child in the Alps. And uh, he imagines it spiraling up out of the sand towards the fruit. You stand there for a moment and you sort of imagine. And beneath your feet, the sand begins to sort of move and shake until this beautifully cascaded reverse rain comes from the base of the desert sands. And it sort of grows grain by grain into this staircase. Doc nods with satisfaction. It's not easy, but it can be done. But nothing worth doing is easy walks, uh, climbs the stairs towards the top of the tree. You climb the stairs uh, slowly at first, but then again, get more confident as each stair passes beneath your feet. You're mostly concerned about the, well, the solid uh, nature of some sort of firmament under your feet. You need that strength to keep moving. But you get up to this big 
bushy palm tree at the top of it. And you can see the, you know, the fruit that sits here. Um, it, most of it seems to be obscured by the by the palms themselves. You'll have to probably push a few of them out of the way if you want to get to the actual fruit. Doc does so. He pushes them up out of the way and to the side so that he can see his objective. You push them out of the way and you hear a very small bell go off, like a, a bellhop's bell. Hmm. It sort of comes out of nowhere. He looks around. The leaves here continue to sprout up sort of to camouflage the fruit that's here. Hmm. So like you go to get a piece of fruit and as you reach for it, either the fruit moves on the, on the tree branch itself, or there are more branches than you first ferns and leaves than you first understood. And you have to keep moving them to, to get them. Doc closes his eyes and reaches into the foliage without looking, just as a um, solely by tactile sensation. You fall forward. Essentially, ass over tea kettle. You do a complete fall forward. And you land on a very hard piece of flooring. Block wood flooring. It's like a, it's a sort of strange kind of mahogany color. And there are little blocks all over the place. They're little, uh, you wouldn't say more than one by one posts that have been slotted into the ground here that have made up the floor. And it isn't really until you see the first few feet of it around you that you realize where you are. You're in Chicago. In an office you know really well. Doc sits up kind of pushes himself, or Doc pushes himself up on one elbow and then sits up, dusts himself off from the desert sand that's probably already disappearing. Yep. Uh, It melds itself into the floor. On the far portion of the um, patient room here that you're sitting in now, there is a there's a the remains of a person on one of the tables here. And seeing it brings back a a flood of memories from the moment. You've seen this body before. You've seen this this corpse before. Its chest has been vivisected. It's been opened. Um, You can see the, the sides of the chest cavity still freshly opened. And you watch a very, um, ethereal form something no denser than smoke or wind walk into the room with simple line outlines of your facial features and you watch yourself go through a series of motions you did what is almost years ago now you put a very dangerous venom sack into a jar you can hear voices outside concerned voices from your fellow investigators. Doc moves closer to the to the ghostly me. Mm-hmm. He's watching him very intently, watching what he does here. He remembers it, but not from this angle, and that fascinates Doc. Watching yourself operate 
gives you a, well, a bird's eye view of being able to question your own abilities and motives. Like the current you would, would have done this differently. You already know from the beginning. You would have done this this way. You would have cut this portion of it here. You know that there's still remnants of that fluid inside the esophagus. And so even though you've prepared to make sure that nothing gets on you, you know that there's going to be a little spatter and uh, a more experienced you would have taken separate precautions. Canvas to cover the face this time. It is funny how much we grow over time, yeah? The words echo a bit in the office here, in this sort of afterimage. And you watch as this image of yourself pauses for a moment. And you can remember this in your own memories where you became a little apprehensive at making some of these moves, these cuts. And from the floor of your Chicago office, a sort of oil slick black energy begins to grow with the image of you and it grows and sort of wraps its way around the lower part and upper body and in a, in a strange sort of geometric way it it comes over the top of you your the image you're staring at and you see a darkened hand enclose over the scalpel in your hand Doc attempts to recall what was happening at that very moment. You remember that you'd you'd made a cut that you didn't that you didn't mean to. You tore away at some of the inner flesh that you'd hoped to save, and you'd sort of internally cursed yourself for making such a, a collegiate mistake. And then you'd redoubled your own efforts. You tried even harder to to center yourself and this sort of cool resolute understanding came over you and you watch yourself make the the right cuts the stuff you would have done first you do it second but there is something different about you this black blackened after image sort of hangs over the smoky gray visage of you there in the office. Doc now, current me, moves behind ghost me and examines this smokiness that has enveloped him, this outer image. It's... It feels very cold. It feels... It gives off that feeling to you. Just in your own bubble. Uh, the s- sensations that you get even being near it are of, of a temperature change. And even as your brain tries to figure out sort of what it can glean from this image, the smoky part of you moves to leave the room. And the darker part stays right there. I stay with the darker part 
in the room. I move around the table again so that I can see its face, so that I'm standing across from it. In that sort of overhead amber light, you see a almost glossy, rubbery um, complexion. It's you, but it's not. The glasses are different. The clothing it has taken on is a little bit more, we'll say, traditional German business. The collars are a little different overseas. The spectacles are dark. Even in the blackness of the skin, you can tell that there's something... an additional level of darkness that exists in the lenses of those glasses. And the voice is yours, but it is a voice that you do not know where it comes from. Who are you? I serve a specific purpose. Um, are you me? In a way, I am you when you cannot be you. You... You were when I partitioned my mind, weren't you? The surgeon. I am the doctor. It's nice to meet you. It extends a very dark hand towards you. Doc shakes it. Reaches out and, and reaches out to touch the hand because he has to know what it feels like. It feels like touching smooth, cold rubber. There's a there's a definitive tactile sensation, like a a very glossy, not sticky, but glossed rubber. A bit like the mouth guards that we found in Dunning. Yeah. Like that, that sort of material had come to life and has now been made into some sort of humanoid form. I can see that you do not seem to mean me harm. Yeah? Mm, far from it. Harm is unnecessary for you. Harm is in the harm is in the arena of those who live by emotion, yeah? When we have a job to do and you are unable as exacting as necessary I take over ah I see well only when a job is too difficult for me yeah the shape doesn't answer Doc draws a line down the middle of the sheet on top of the body between him and the surgeon an imaginary line with his finger you see there are many things which I but you cannot not yet yeah this is true I do not disagree with you how will I call you if I need you call you suggest that I am not with you daily Doc seems a little taken aback well, I do not think that I need you on that regular of a basis we have faced many horrible things but but, but I don't... I, I, he seem, Doc seems flustered. Sigmund, 
I have faced many horrible things. You have waited. You have hid. I face them for you. Doc takes half a step back. That's, that is that is not that's not entirely true. I, I I am capable of handling them myself. Of course. Your will is powerful, but only when you have my calculations as well. Well, I I, I suppose that is true. I. I guess I should have expected that there was some sort of... Uh, Doc is now kind of half-circling around the figure again. I should have expected that there was some sort of... There would be some sort of trauma. But I did not expect one so articulate. You even you have said how many times. There is a cost, yeah? Yeah. There is a cost. That is always cost. I am your penance. I am your fee. This is what... Well, if it is a fee that I will have to pay in order to keep my loved ones safe. He looks through the frosted glass area to the dim shapes on the other side of his office door. Mm -hmm. The voices outside the, in the lobby area. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean... A couple of them are readily noticeable. Jack's voice is there. Uh, you think you hear Stasi. And maybe that's Lily getting coffee for everyone. It it makes you... Down deep in your stomach, it makes you homesick. Duck has to take a second because that, that hits home for him. He, he misses Chicago, he misses Lily, and he misses his old simple life. If only... If only it had been... Done. Well, and, uh, what should we say, uh, deposited, Mr. Swift, yeah? If only. If only. But it, I was far here before Chicago. I existed far many years before this corpse. He sort of flays out his black fingers, which are a little irregularly long for your taste, towards the corpse. No, no. We first met when you looked through the hole in Peru. Mm. There was something in that Peruvian temple you saw. Something the eyes were not meant to see. And when the first fisher arrived, I stepped through. You were created to retain my sanity. I was created to make sure there was something to come home to. I stand between you and those memories. Are they that bad? The figure sort of tilts its head as as if to ponder your question. And a moment or two later, it says, If they were not that bad, would I have been created at all? Mm. It, is a, it is a bootstrap paradox at best. The fortunate part for you you never need know what transpired in Peru it would be best if you all forgot it but but what what if it is important information should not be hidden you of all people you of all people should understand that yeah 
wielding those memories is not for the faint of heart. In Peru, who lived, who died. Choices you and your friends made. Choices were... Doc looks down at his hands. Are there blood on them? Or is there blood on them? No, actually. The only thing on the doctor's hands are what look like trailing markings, uh, as if there's some sort of lettering or uh, iconography on them. These are clean. There's no blood here. The uh, figure in black flays its hands, splays the hands out again, showing you them. And that's when you see all of the blood on its hands. And Sigmund. He watches the blood drip off of the hands for the moment. Is he wearing gloves, by the way? He's not. Okay. So this is just blood on on bare hands. Mm, well, yeah. Bare hands, which are sort of rubbery and black with no, no complete definition, right? And so like the little drips of blood begin hitting the wood floor. And as he curls his fingers back in, the blood seems to seep into the ether. The point is, you survived Peru. And when needed again here, I arrived. You went years without needing me. But there, there has been so much. I have had to do so many things to keep them safe. Have you compromised? Hmm? It is not compromise. It is sacrifice. Sacrifice for the ones that I love. An understandable sacrifice. But unfortunately, I believe your future will require more sacrifice. Things which cannot be undone. There are bells which cannot be untold. Choices made, consequences rendered. Doc's quiet for a moment and then takes a deep breath. <sighs> All right. I have. I have done what I've needed to to keep them safe this far. It would not be very kind of me to stop now. In fact, I believe we should redouble our efforts. Yeah. We are of agreement, yeah. What do you propose? Since several friends, you count as patients as well. I believe some of them are in dire need of some assistance. I do not believe your work with this Sam is finished. Nine. Not I. He is perhaps, I think, too dangerous and needing to be... I don't want to use the words reined in. Let me give you the words. It moves a hand into its suit jacket and it pulls out a black scalpel. It sort of delicately sets it on the line you drew on the body. He regards the scalpel with detachment and interest. When you must make 
precious and important cuts. Not like here, not like this butcher's work you've done, but true surgical work. Too needful and what must be left behind. And the wrong cut at the wrong time and you may ruin everything before, but the right cut in the right place allow removal of the fetid tissue of the spirit. Do you understand? Removing of the tumor. Times when you need the steady hand, you call the surgeon and I will show you how to make the cuts. You sort of feel the the feverish, almost rapturous joy that comes out of this thing. Doc is worried about the eagerness, but recognizes a valuable tool when he sees it. I will. But you have to understand that we are doing this because we care for them. We cannot become so attached to... He looks around, looks down at the body. Unattachment that we sacrifice those that we are doing it for, yeah? Nothing without an end. And sacrificing for. And you may have to choose, yet even now, who is worth sacrificing and who isn't. You cannot save them all. You are correct. Of course I cannot, and I have done this math before. There are are those among us that they wish to save, but I do not know if I can. The walk's too fine of a line. She has crossed over in some areas, I believe. Derek's head snaps up. The darkness cannot have her. I, I will not lose someone else to the darkness, especially not her. Yet... The ability to surprise you. The concern beyond your patient already is something you are not even thinking about. Show me. He goes over to your what you would put um, microfilm or, or or film camera on when you took pictures of of a patient, and he uh, sets up a photo. And in that photo, you see. A picture of Lillian walking through a cobblestone street. You don't even remember being in a place like this. There's a definite um, power here. The stone, everything is uh, very exacting. It could be Brussels, it could be Germany, it could be any sort of Austria possibly. And you see her walking towards this what looks like a, a large building at the end. This she says, it's a still photo, so you can't get much from it. And he says, Aka, power at play here. Miss Lane has been contacted several times. I've been watching her out of the corner of your eye for some time. And when he says that, like, you shiver at the thought of someone else using your eyes to look at someone. Doc leads back and looks at this creep bit, this surgeon. 
I find it disturbing the amount that you have picked up that I did not know. But I guess if you knew it, I must have known it, yeah? I watch things. I do things. I take your place when necessary. You are busy. It's a bit of liberty you think he's taking with that statement, but no, no matter. He, he continues. Is a concern. She has been sent aboard with this character, Mr. Wilde. Yeah. She has something. She's been given something that she now cannot get rid of. It's, is it um, a, a book that she has read? I, I remember something about a book that, or a manuscript that she has. But whatever it is, if she does not come to a proper resolution of it, I foresee doom for her. Well, whoever it is that has designs on her, they cannot have her either. I will be, I will be there to champion for her. I have grown quite fond of Miss Lane. She may not have been here. He points at the, uh, he taps the office door, or points to the office door. But she is here. He taps his chest, and that is enough. So, the darkness cannot have her either. In the future, you and I will have a conversation about what you are willing to give up. Perhaps we will. Doc very slowly reaches out and picks up the black scalpel. Make a power roll. Okie dokie. 47 under 50, no, 65, I believe. It's a power roll, so your iron wheel is going to come into play. You'll get to roll your 10s again. Oh. 19. Okay. So that's definitely a hard. Oh, yeah. You take the black scalpel, and when you do, it sort of turns almost like silly putty in your hands for a second, and you see the the darkness sort of push out through the spaces in your fingerprints and it it almost turns into a sort of some sort of strange um, implement like a like a, a fist pack almost for just a second and and then it recedes back into its regular shape almost like it didn't want you to be able to pick it up it resisted becoming tangible for you? Doc looks up to the figure, the surgeon. He raises an eyebrow. Is so concrete for everyone. With your heart, he sort of reaches out to to prod at you, like to, to tap your chest like you had done yours. And when he taps towards you, you feel fingers impact you from across the room. Not hard, but they make a point. Hmm. Well, surgical detachment is good, but I'm, I'm here because I want people to be well and I want them to be around. And I have... I have lost too many already. Losses end yet. We have not yet gotten to of my visit. It moves back around the body towards you. 
in a rather swift series of steps, which don't carry any tone on the wood floor like your heels do. It uncovers the corpse, this worker, this sort of hybrid human. And it looks down into the cavity where the poison sack was and all of the autopsied organs that have been pulled out. And the form bends at an unnatural angle over the body until it's almost parallel with its chin and the body and says this form was impure it was not prepared to take on such the of hybridization the figure stands back up your miss O'Shea she may be an exceptional subject but there may come a time when scales get the better of her I have also suspected such an event might be possible I do not know what we would do in such a situation how do you separate one from herself oh this process is simple you use the scalpel. Doc looks horrified. I, I, I would not alter her brain. No, 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 no. It is a delicate machine that I would never touch. It's a body, though. There may come a time when she can no longer pass as one of you. Ah, I see. A dangerous time for her and for you. Yeah. And so logic did that certain steps maybe have to come to pass. Yeah. I would suggest you begin to have those conversations sooner rather than later. Where you may be too late. He turns a hand to sort of gesture to the hybrid body. You are correct. I cannot fault your logic. But I suppose that <laughs> that is the point of your logic, yeah? Needs the right mindset before they are going to operate. I would recommend sort of absentmindedly begins looking at some of the tools that the Chicago office has. You can see him correcting some of the positions that you reach out to me when you are prepared and allow my hand to guide you in these matters. Decision moving forward. You are correct. Again, your logic is impeccable. Good. He stands up. Doc offers a... Extends a... Business-like handshake. You shake hands with this form. And as you do, the rubber sort of goes flaccid for a moment. Just the entire form. And 
it collapses into the wood of the office as you drift somewhere else into the dreamlands. And that is where we will call our tale to a close today. And so uh, thank you so much for this little excursion into uh, the brain of Sigmund Tottenbach. I think that's a, a dangerous place for really anybody to be in, given what the doctor's seen. Yeah, it's not a tool shop I'd hang out in willingly. Right. Um, but we have a ton of things to get to in the next episode. And so hopefully for everyone, we'll see uh, the doctor wake up right as rain. Thank, thank you. James, for your time with Sigmund tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you for uh, a good time. And thank you, listeners. And thank you, Patreons, uh, all our patrons, because you guys are awesome. Absolutely. Good night and good luck. <laughs>